0: 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to use it as kind of a launch pad this morning. I've read a portion of this a couple of times in the course of, our, in the course of this um, message series, but I'm going to read a little more of it, and we're going to use it kind of as a launch pad. Um, I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture this morning. I'm not going to read them all. Um, Zena's going to flash them up on the screen for us. I'll read some of them. Uh, but if you're interested in going back and looking at all of these scriptures and especially setting them into context, so they need to, I don't think I'm taking any of them out of context, but sometimes it gives you a little more insight to read them in context. Uh, Brother Carl does a good job at uploading um, the sermon notes along with all the scripture references and stuff, so you can take it and research it out a little bit further for yourself. In First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse eight, He said, "'Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus,' After that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm not going to take all, uh, take that all apart this morning and, 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 and make application of all of it, but but he's given a warning to to, to believers in this world that we have an enemy, um, adversary anti-good. We talked about that some last week. He's against good and against everything that's good and against you doing good. Um, He is actively walking about in this world along with his demonic hordes doing everything that he can to resist the work of God in your life and through your life. He went on to say that the same thing that we're enduring as far as that assault from the enemy is what our brothers and sisters around the world are also enduring but that we have the ability to resist him steadfast in our faith because God has called us to his own glory and virtue, and he will glorify us um, in his kingdom. Peter likely wrote this whole letter. There's a whole lot in this letter about suffering and about afflictions. About He said, don't think it's strange concerning the, the fiery trial that's trying you, um, knowing that, that, that it's happened to others and it's going to keep happening until, until the very end. But he's likely he, he is likely writing this epistle in the middle of some of the most incredible persecution that the world has ever seen, and that would be under Nero, the Roman emperor. And I don't have time to get in all the history of what Nero did, but he basically used the Christians as a scapegoat. He was not very popular himself, and there were some accusations made against him about burning Rome down. Um, because he wanted to rebuild it the way he wanted it rebuilt. But he essentially blamed that on the Christians, and then they became the focus of his persecution. Um, You can read about it, um, Google it, but um, they would cover these Christians in in animal skins and put them in the arena and uh, let them be torn in pieces by wild dogs and lions. They they, they nailed uh, Roman crucifixion, um, was their favorite form of putting somebody to death in horrendous torture. And Peter himself was crucified upside down. But they would crucify these Christians. Um, some they would dip in oil and, um, and, and use them to be human torches um, to light the streets uh, and the gardens of Rome. So Peter is writing this letter in the midst of some very intense persecution against Christians. And against the church. And even though that persecution came from the hands of the Romans and from the Roman emperor Nero, Peter, uh, Peter knew that even though it was coming from their hands, it was coming from Satan's heart. It was, it was his intent to do anything and everything that he could using persecution as his primary tool to stop the spread of Christianity and to essentially silence the church. It didn't work. We know it didn't work. In fact, Rome became uh, later became a Christian nation in and of itself. And the persecution never works. It never destroys true faith. It just perfects it and purifies it and makes it a brighter witness of the gospel. But even though this this persecution was coming from Nero and the Romans, Satan under or Peter understood that Satan was the perpetuator of it, and that he was doing everything that he could to stop the church from advancing the cause of Christ. And can I tell you, his plans hadn't changed. His plans hadn't changed. His battle strategies have not changed. He didn't lay down his arms and surrender after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, and thats you can read that in the book of Acts. You can see that very clearly, that the devil was still very much at work in the world. And I would tell you that he and his hellish army are just as much at work in the world today and maybe even more so because the Bible says that they know that their time is short. They are just as much at work in the world today to stop the spread of Christianity and to silence the voice of Christians as they ever have been. I think part of our problem is this, and that is that we think we have become too civilized and too intellectual to believe that there is an invisible supernatural entity that is rallying himself against us and working actively in our lives, in our churches, in our homes um, to discourage and distract and even to destroy us um, from who God has called us to be. He is at work. Whether we think we're too civilized or intellectual to believe that or not. but, But my take on it is this. We've let him fly under the radar too long. We've let him be the invisible foe for too long. We've pretended that it's not him that's at work, and we fought one another instead of fighting the real enemy that is not flesh and blood but is supernatural and invisible. And the whole purpose of this series, Demonology, is to remind us of the reality of that demonic realm and to expose their works and their activities in the world that's around us. So we've talked about who they are and where they came from. They were created by God in perfection. Um, they failed because of their pride, they rebelled against God, they were evicted from heaven and cast out to inhabit the earth. Satan is their prince, their operations and habitations, Satan is their prince, they're organized into hierarchies. Some rule over geographical regions of the world and some are actively at work in the lives of individual people uh, in the world. But they're organized and orderly, they are oppressing and they are possessing um, anybody and everybody um, that they can. Their primary purposes are twofold, and that is to stop the lost from being saved and stop the saved from looking saved. And they don't want us to be a witness in this world of the gospel. Last week we talked about the names and descriptions, which I think was very telling about their their nature, their character, and some of their activities around the world. And today we're going to dig a little bit deeper in that. Even though we we, we we've just, we we mentioned some of it in passing, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into their Um, to their nature, character, and activities in the world by talking today about their powers and their tactics. Uh, I don't think that we can... I don't think I can make an exhaustive list. And I don't think I can concisely uncover everything that the devil's doing. Um, But there are some things that I think the Scripture um, reveals to us that are very plain. And and uh, even then, I don't think all of our questions will ever be answered um, in fact, I called Mitch on my way back from Columbus from the state meeting yesterday and, and quizzed Mitch a little bit about some things that, that I was struggling with in this study see if he had any insight. And, and part of what he said to me is that there are some, some of the things that our mind questions that the Scripture doesn't give us a clear and concise answer on. We just have to kind of leave those things alone or make some speculations at best, but we can't be dogmatic about any of them. But let's talk first about the powers of the demonic. Let's talk about what demons, what the devil. By the way, anytime the Bible gives credit to Satan for anything, or to the devil for anything, it could mean he as the originator and perpetuator, or all of that demonic horde that follows uh, his leader, that, that followed his rebellion, and that follows his leadership as the prince of demons. So, what are they capable of doing? What are they capable of controlling? What, what are demons capable of influencing? I'm going to share some things this morning that might be a little bit surprising to you, but I, I hope you'll hold on, and if you don't trust what I'm saying, look these scriptures up and read through them yourself. I believe, when you talk about the powers of the demonic, that they, that they can work through nature. And what I mean by that is that they seem to be able to exercise some, at least some measure of control over wind, rain, storms, earthquakes, things of that nature. Now you may have never heard that before. The primary place that I get that idea from is in Job chapter 1 and verse 19. Now we all, we all pretty much know the story of Job, how that satan came and stood with other angels before god and god essentially bragged on job what a righteous man he was upright uh, in his integrity and all of his ways and he asked satan have you considered him and satan said yeah i've considered him but i can't do anything with him because you won't let me touch him and if you let me touch him if you let me inflict pain upon him he'll curse you to your face well we know that that wasn't true um, but in part of his assault, the first thing that happened, he lost all of his flocks. Job was a very rich man, and a band of marauding robbers came in and just um, uh, wiped out his crops, killed all of his livestock, um, killed, or took his livestock, killed his servants that were there. And Job wept over that, but he didn't curse God. And so there was that second appearance before God when Satan came again, and, and he said, if, if I touch his family, it'll make a difference. Uh, he, won't, he won't continue to bless you if I touch his family. So the Bible said in Job 1.19 that there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the house where his family was gathered and, and all of his children died uh, in the collapse of that house. So even though, even though Satan was limited by God what he could do to Job, I believe Satan used a great wind to kill his children remember what he asked permission to do and what did he use to do it with a tornadic wind perhaps and you say preacher you jumping to some big conclusions here well John chapter 12 verse 31 Jesus called Satan the prince of the world he called Satan the prince of the world he is cast out he is inhabiting the world now for lack of a better term I believe when man sinned, I believe that when God created the world, He gave man the title deed to creation. He gave us creation. He gave us the world. That's what He said. Everything that I have created is yours, and I want you to go into it and multiply, have dominion over it, uh, multiply my glory in the midst of it. But when we sinned against God, we lost our title to creation, and we handed that over to Satan. Jesus is going to take it back in the end. He's going to put all things under his feet. And when he has done that, he's going to give the kingdom back to the Father who created it. But right now, Satan holds the title deed to creation. He is the God of this world. He is the prince of this world. He is, he is ruling over this world. And that word world is, that, that word, world is cosmos, which, which implies everything that makes it up, including the elements. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul gives, and I, meant, I, I, I started to mention this last week, but I paused because I knew that I was going to come back to it. He described the way that we used to walk in this world before we were saved. We walked according to the course of the world. We walked like the rest of the world's walking, and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That prince of the power of the air. Is interesting if you look up that word "air." It literally means the prince of the power of the lower atmosphere that surrounds us. It doesn't have anything to do with the heavenly places. It doesn't have anything to do with those upper regions, but it has everything to do with the atmosphere that surrounds us. And that's why I, that's why I say that I believe that Satan has some control over the forces of nature. Now, I'm not. I'm, this is pure speculation on my part. Jesus, when he left that crowd and got in that boat that night to go to the other side, you do, and we're going to talk about this man a little bit more, on the other side of that sea was a man that was being tormented by the devil. Jesus got in that boat, left that crowd, went across that sea, cast the devils out of that man, got back in his boat, went to the other side. He crossed the sea to deliver one man from the grip of Satan. But when he got out in the midst of that sea, they got caught up in a horrible storm that the sailors that were on board that ship, those fishermen, feared for their life and woke Jesus up because he was sleeping. And the Bible said when Jesus got up out of that boat that he stood on the bow of that boat and he rebuked the wind and the sea and caused them to lay down. And they did. But where'd that storm come from? Who brewed that up and what were they trying to do? Perhaps they were trying to prevent Jesus from going to the other side and working that miracle of deliverance in his life. Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea, which implies to me, he didn't stir it up to begin with, but he quietened it down by his own word. And by the way, the devil might stir it up inside of you, but when Jesus tells him to get out, he's got to go. I don't want you to miss this point, and I'm gonna, this is probably how I'm going to close the series. I plan to close next week, but I'm going to come back with a sermon just to let you know that God is sovereign over Satan. Satan does not control God in any sense of the word, all right? He's not equal in any sense of the word. But I believe that they can work through nature at least to some degree, perhaps only at the permissive will of God, but they can work through nature to be destructive. And I say that, when I say that, I'm going to tell you something that's always bothered me. It just always has. It has never set well with me. That any time anything catastrophic happens as far as a natural, what we would call a natural disaster, we refer to that as an act of God. As if God himself is by nature destructive. And that's always just not set well with me. That why do we always, in fact, sometimes the only time you'll ever mention the news or the heathen say anything about um god is when they see a catastrophic natural event occur a tornado or an earthquake or a flood and they refer to it as an act of god to me that impugns and mis- uh, it mischaracterizes the nature and the character of god so that's always bothered me and i think it helps me to know that some of the destruction that we see around the world as far as catastrophic events from natural disasters may indeed be the enemy at work in our midst now it could, be, it could also be God's judgment. It could also be God bringing judgment upon a specific people like he did Sodom and Gomorrah, and like he did other places. But there may be an element of opportunity that the enemy has to manipulate the forces of nature to try uh, to destroy or stop the work of God uh, in the midst of the world. Number two, they can, they can inhabit humans and animals. They can literally live in and control uh, their behaviors. Go back to the man in Mark chapter five, the Gadarene. The, when Jesus asked the demon his name, and that, that, that's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible to me. That man was he was a maniac. Satan had tormented him to the point that society couldn't do anything with him. But when he saw Jesus, the Bible said he ran to him and worshipped him. But what spoke through that man's lips was a demonic voice. And Jesus asked him to identify himself, and he said, There's not just one of us, but there's a legion of us. And they, they, they begged Jesus not to cast them into the pit. Don't banish us to the pit. Let us continue to inhabit the world. And, and so Jesus, when he cast them by the man, they went into a herd of swine that were feeding. About 2,000 swine, the scripture says. And those pigs ran themselves off of a cliff into the sea and drowned. But these, the, 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 the demons were given leave from inhabiting a man To inhabiting an animal. In Luke chapter 8 verse 2. The Bible introduces us to some women that had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And it specifically said that Mary who was called Magdalene. Had seven devils cast out of her. Now you follow Mary Magdalene. She was the woman that that washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Wiped them with her hair. She was was the last one at the cross and the first one at the tomb. She knew what Jesus had done for her. She never got over that, that he had cast out those seven wicked spirits that had been inhabiting her body. In Luke chapter 22, verse 3, the Bible says, Then entered Satan into Judas. Now, we've always just been critical, and we've always just laid all of the charge to Judas. I agree, Judas had a choice to make. He participated in this, um, but the Bible specifically says that Judas um, was inhabited by Satan. That Satan entered into Judas and caused him ultimately to betray Jesus to hostile rulers for his own financial gain. Judas already had some issues going on with the money. He already was one that had some issues. He opened the door for Satan to have him and Satan inhabited him and used him to to betray and to uh, send Jesus to the cross, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter two verse nine, and I'm not going to go read either one of these, but this is a passage talking about the antichrist. When the antichrist comes on the scene, this is a man. This is a real man, a living, breathing human being that comes onto the scene to be the ruler of the world, the leader of the world, and the Bible describes him as one who is coming with the working power of Satan within him. If you go to Revelation chapter thirteen verse four, you see that that beast. Um, that, that John Saul is one that had the power of the dragon at work on the inside of him. So that the, the Antichrist literally is the personification of Satan himself. Satan inhabits that body um, and becomes and, and the Antichrist becomes the devil incarnate in the world. And, and so listen, I think if, if you just take a look at this world's history, I believe that some of the most wicked, powerful, violent men on the face of the earth were very likely inhabited by demons. I can name a bunch of names this morning. Who do you think, in, in the Old Testament, when you look at Pharaoh, who do you think orchestrated Pharaoh's desire to stop the Hebrews from, from growing and ordered the destruction of every male child. The devil. When Herod caught wind that there was a new king being born, and Herod said that everybody in this region of the world, two years and under, since the time he heard that, that the king was being born, he ordered the slaughter of all those male children two years old and under. Who you think was behind that, 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 that nefarious scheme to wipe out the Messiah? Satan. When you think about the workings of Hitler, whose desire was to wipe the Jewish race from the face of the earth. Listen, God still got a plan for the Jewish nation. Even though Ray rejected Christ originally, there's still a plan. Satan knows about that plan. He knows the scripture. And so that, that attempt to wipe the Jewish race from the face of the earth, who was embedded, in, in fact, there's some pretty good documentaries that, that say that not only was Hit, Hitler an atheist, but he also may have been involved in occultic demonic worship. Satan inhabited. I don't know what's going on in the hearts of Putin right now, however you say his name. I always feel funny saying Putin. I want to call him Putin because it just sounds more dignified. But he ain't very dignified at all. And what he's doing, in fact, he's got people in his own nation that are revolting against him that don't understand what their purpose is. Um, And and, and he may be, and and I think if you look and read the scriptures, a lot of what goes on in the end time is all perpetuated. It originates and perpetuates by the activity of Satan at work, quite possibly inhabiting the bodies of human beings, causing them to do what they do. They can inflict physical and mental suffering. I've mentioned this over and over, I'm not going to dwell here, but it is a truth that saturates the New Testament. In Luke chapter 13, verse 11, there was a woman that the Bible says who was inflicted by a spirit of infirmity that kept her from standing up straight for 18 years. In the 16th verse of that same chapter, Jesus attributed what happened to that woman to be that she had been bound by Satan for 18 years. And he healed her on the Sabbath day. So the physical disease that had inflicted this woman's body, Jesus attributed it directly to a demonic spirit or to Satan himself. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures but, that, but the Bible uses the word spirit of infirmity over and over again. Sometimes it uses um, a deaf spirit or a mute spirit or a blind spirit. But you can go through the scriptures and see that Jesus, they brought these people to him that were tormented by evil spirits who were blind, who were deaf, who were mute, who were having convulsions and being thrown in the fire. Um, and, and all of those things were attributed to the activity of demonic activity in their lives. And Jesus cast out the devil and healed them of the infirmity. Matthew chapter 5, going back to that, the same demon-possessed man. If you read what it says in verse 4 and verse 5, it describes him as one that lived in the graveyard. They had tried to restrain him, and he had some kind of supernatural strength so that every, every time they tried to bind him up, he broke those, those binders and escaped. Uh, it said in the fifth verse that he literally lived in the graveyard. And that day and night, all he did was cry And cut himself with stones. Self-mutilation. This man was in physical, emotional, mental anguish because of the attack and assault on the enemy in his life. Now, I'm going to give you this word of caution because some people go into ditch with this. And I'm not going in the ditch. Do not... Do not infer, I am not inferring, I am not implying in any sense of the word that all physical and mental suffering is demonic. Do you hear me? If you suffer physically from a disease, or if you suffer mentally from anxiety or depression or any other mental or emotional illness, I am not in any sense of the word saying that is the devil inhabiting you or inflicting you. I will say that sometimes it can be. It obviously sometimes in the Bible is the case. But I'm not, I can't and won't make a blanket statement that says all sickness and disease is because of Satan. Now I will make a blanket statement and say that all sickness and disease ultimately came from sin. Because until sin entered the world, there was no curse. And if you look at the end of the book, when there is no curse, the Bible says there will be no more sickness, neither sorrow nor pain. There won't be any more suffering. Um, because Jesus has done away with the curse of sin and redeemed us completely. So sin brought the curse upon all of us. And we experience that curse of the physical body of dying and decaying on a daily basis. And so, so sometimes it's demonic. Sometimes it's just that we're living under the curse of sin. And sometimes it's because we've done it to ourselves. I went to the cardiologist last week. He said, you've got, you got coronary artery disease, you do have 40-50% blockage. He said, you need to watch your diet better and get more exercise. So I ain't going to blame my stopped up arteries on the devil. I'm going to blame it on little Debbie. And and I and wrote, I'm, I'm trying to do better, but I'm telling you it's hard because I didn't eat all day yesterday and I'm starving to death. And they should not have put Dollar General between here and Wake Girls, Georgia. Cindy opened the snack door last night and she looked up at me and smiled and she said, I see you've been grocery shopping again. <laughs> I just can't help it. I went in there to get something healthy, but when I walked past them chocolate donuts and them sprinkled donuts and that little Debbie rack and tater chip rack and ice cream in the refrigerator, she didn't open my drawer but here, here's what I made myself promise on the way home you ain't going to eat all these this week you're going to space them out further like the doctor said some of, my, some of my maladies that I experienced in my life are just because I hadn't taken care of the temple that God blessed me with I can't blame anybody but myself for that so, so I don't want you to think in any way that I think the devil is the source of every affliction that we have physically or Mentally. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, the Bible implies that sometimes sickness comes upon us even because God is judging us for our sin. It is a chastening of God because we are sinning against Him. And I know that to be true because I experienced it very personally. When I had a sickness, an illness in my life that involved me not being able to eat or hardly talk, my mouth broke out with canker, They tried everything that they knew to treat it. Um, I could take the medications, I could take the steroids, and it would go away. And um, as soon as I stopped taking them, it would come back again. And laying in my bed one night, I was complaining to God. I'm like, you've called me to preach, and my mouth is so full of ulcers that I'm not even sure I can speak without slobbering. I was miserable eating noodle soup because I I couldn't chew anything else. And while I was laying in the bed complaining to God, he revealed sin in my life that I knew was there, but I was trying to pretend wasn't there. He rebuked me for my sin. I came over to this church and got on that altar and confessed my sin before God and said, "I, I know that what's happening to me right now is because of the sin in my life. And the Lord took that away from me, and I don't know that I've ever had a canker sore in my mouth since then. Now I'm not. If you got canker sores, I ain't saying that that's God punishing you, all right? But it was His punishment. It was His chastening of me because it went away when I confessed the sin. So I would say to you, if you think maybe God's chastening is coming against you for some kind of physical, with some kind of physical ailment, check yourself. That's the first thing I always do now. If <laughs> I get sick, Lord, I'm checking up. And, uh, and if it is, then he'll remove the chastening from you as you confess that sin. I- I've already mentioned this, kind of, about the inhabitation. But they can influence people in authority, causing them to act in opposition to the work of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul talked about wanting to go back to Thessalonica. I I want to come back to you. In fact, Paul only spent like 11 days at Thessalonica. He was only there for a really short time. Now, you understand this? A man that's preaching the gospel can't give you everything that you need in 11 days. And so he had a desire to go back to Thessalonica. What happened at Thessalonica is they stirred up the people against Paul, and he was forced to flee to Berea, and he tried to preach the word there, and the people from Thessalonica followed him to Berea, and chased him off from there. But you understand, when he said, I wanted to come back to you, but Satan hindered us from coming back. Well, if you go read Acts chapter 17, it becomes clear that Satan used a city council or a group of civil leaders in that area to rally that persecution around what the Apostle Paul was bringing. So Satan was working in the hearts of civil authorities to prevent Paul from coming back and ministering in the city of Thessalonica. In Revelation chapter two, verse ten, there's a there's something going on there where where Jesus is speaking, and he said, "The devil, the devil is going to cast some of you into prison so that you can be tried there." And in fact, he told them how long they would be there, and he said, "Be faithful unto death." And I'll give you a crown of life. Now you do know this. The devil didn't physically come down with a pair of handcuffs and arrest those Christians and put them in prison. Somebody did that for him. There there was there was an authority at work who decided it's time to imprison those people and persecute them there. They were under the influence of the devil himself and Jesus attributed their imprisonment to the devil although he worked through those authorities. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, the Bible, and, and if you go read the whole context, the, the, the spirits that, that came out looked like frogs, and the Bible said that they were the spirits of devils, that they work in miracles, and that they go forth into the kings of the earth and the whole world and bring them together to do battle against God himself, which is the battle of Armageddon. So unclean spirits are sent out into the world to influence the kings of the earth to stand in opposition to Christ himself. So devils are influenced and they have the power to influence people who are in places of authority. Now, let me say this. I don't don't know that these authorities always realize that they're being under the influence of the devil. Have you ever done anything that you didn't realize in that moment that you were under the influence of the enemy? I have. I told you a few weeks ago. I've shared gossip that's been hurtful to people in this church. And and at the time, I would have just said, yeah, and I confessed my sin and admitted my sin. But when I do things like that, i I got to understand that the originator and perpetuator of all evil in the world, the one that is working uh, constantly against the good that is in me and the good that God wants to do through me is the devil himself. And so I can yield myself to the devil and not even realize it. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your member servants to obey his servants you are, whether of obedience unto righteousness or of sin unto death? That's Romans chapter 6, verse 16, written to believers. And I don't always know that I'm under the influence. Sometimes I have to just stop and say, who's making you say this? Who's making you do this? That's where my friend Mitch comes along and asks me, who told you to say that? That didn't come from our father. And there's only one other voice that's speaking into this world, and that's the voice of the enemy. So I don't know that all these authorities realize that they're under the influence of the enemy, but they're still pawns in his hand. Who do you think in 1973 instigated those Supreme Court justices to rule that it's legal for a, ba- for a mother to kill her baby In the womb. I can promise you this. Nearly 70 million children were not slaughtered because God ordered and ordained it. Those men and women that made that decision were under the influence of satanic authority. By the way, there's some deliberation going on right now that can completely undo Roe v. Wade. And we need to pray that those men and women would be under the influence of the Holy Spirit's authority. And they would reverse that decision. Here's the last point in that powers, and the next two are only going to take a few minutes. They can initiate signs and wonders. The Egyptian magicians duplicated Moses' miracles. The Bible doesn't say anything any different than that. When Moses threw his rod down on the ground and it became a snake, they threw their rod down on the ground and it became a snake. When Moses' rod budded, their rod budded. In fact, they mimicked nearly every miracle that, that Moses performed right up until the last part. And then there were some things that they couldn't do. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, here's what Jesus said. And he's speaking specifically about during the tribulation. He said there's going to arise false Christs, false prophets, and they're going to show great signs and wonders. And if it were possible, they would even deceive the elect. False Christ and false prophets who are not empowered by the Holy Spirit to work miracles, but are empowered by Satan to perform miracles. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 13, the false prophet who is the sidekick to the Antichrist. He is the world religious leader. The Bible says that he does great wonders and makes fire come down from heaven onto the earth in the sight of man. If you look at the 16th verse, I believe it is, the 15th verse of that same chapter, it says that he makes an image of the Antichrist a statue, an idol, and and causes the image of the beast to speak. In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, there was a man by the name of Simon the sorcerer who the Bible says used sorcery and witchcraft. And the people, if you read the next verse beyond that one, I didn't give that one to her. If you read the next verse beyond that one, it said, the people believed that Simon had the great power of God because he did signs and wonders. And when he saw what the disciples were doing, he tried to buy that power from them as well. So I want to caution you of this. You better be careful of psychics. And, and tarot cards, is that how you say it? Ouija boards, horoscopes. What happens when you get up in the morning and read a horoscope and sometime throughout the day that horoscope comes remarkably true? What, of, All of a sudden you have been influenced by the enemy to believe that that horoscope business is true and you begin to lean more on it for your understanding of how your life is going to unfold than you do the Word of God. See, Satan's subtle like that. There have been, and I'm not, I'm not telling you it ain't happening, I'm just telling you to be careful. There have been statues of the Virgin Mary that supposedly weep blood. There have been crucifixes of Jesus that have been said to bleed from the palms. Do you know what happens in all of those cases? The people go worship that statue. They flock to the statue. They I don't know whether it's true or not, but they say there's a Bible up in North Georgia somewhere that's been producing oil for several months or perhaps years now. I had not heard recently if it's still doing it or not. You know, our first first, um, response would be, oh, that's bull, that's baloney, that can't be true. But it could be. That don't necessarily mean it's of God. It don't necessarily mean that God did that. In fact, the Bible said... A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but the only sign that I'm going to give them is the sign of just like Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, and I'm going to come up victorious in a resurrection. The only sign that we need that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he'd do and that we can trust him with our life and with our soul and with our eternity is that he rose from the dead. That's good enough for me. I don't need to see any other sign than that. If I never see another healing, if I never see anything miraculous happen, Jesus is still alive. And that's enough. So here's what I would say. We need to beware of those signs and wonders because any sign or wonder that distracts you or distracts us from the finished work of Christ and His resurrection, can be used as a tool of Satan to pull us away from the simplicity that we find in Christ. I'll read something else about that in just a second. I don't believe that's an exhaustive list, but I, get, I think that gives us an idea of how powerful the enemy is in the world that we live in. So let's talk for just a few minutes about the tactics. Now you can make a lot of subpoints here. And Brother Mitch has hit on a bunch of the subpoints, but I'm just going to focus on the two primary tactics that Satan uses in the world today. The first is this, they specialize in subtle deception. Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies. My good friend Roger Sumner says, If Satan's the father of lies and we tell a lie or repeat a lie, what does that make us? The mother, the surrogate. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, implies that every false and idolatrous religion in the world is engaged in the worship of devils. When When you are engaged in a false religious practice, it is the worship of the demonic. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, picks up on that Old Testament warning and applies it to the New Testament error and said Peter or Paul said, The Gentiles that are making sacrifices in idols today are sacrificing to devils and not to God. And you don't need to have fellowship with them. So anywhere there's false religions that are being practiced, it's the enemy that's behind that. He has deceived them into believing a lie. Second Corinthians Chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to take the time to turn. He's talking about some people that have entered into the city of Corinth that are claiming to be Christian. This happened at Galatia. It happened in some other places. But here's what Paul said. Those people are not truly Christians. They're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. They transform. They are pretending to be the apostles of Christ. Verse 14. I'm not surprised by that. That's no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He is disguising himself. Verse 15, Therefore therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So listen to me. Not all religious groups that claim to be founded upon Christ are founded by Christ. Some of them, in fact, have taken us away. They came into the Galatian church and said, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Paul said, no. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. That was a Jewish law. That's not not essential for salvation. And so the whole book of Galatians is about that legalism. Uh, They had added works to faith, and Paul said you don't need works to be saved. That works is a product of faith. You trust Christ for salvation. Nothing else is required. And when you truly trust Christ for salvation, it'll manifest itself through the works of your life. And and listen, that's a subtle, I understand, that's a subtle twist. But there are people today who will tell you that I'm going to heaven on the basis of my faith in Christ and the works that I do for Him. And, And I know you're going to heaven because you've placed your faith in Christ. Listen, it's a subtle deception, but it's a deception. If, if, and there are groups that teach you've got to be baptized or you can't be saved. Now, I believe you ought to be baptized. But if you hadn't been baptized, you'd get saved on your deathbed. And never make it to a baptismal water. If you've trusted Christ your, for, your, for your salvation, you can be with Him in paradise just like the thief was. Subtle deceptions. Subtle deceptions. So listen, whenever, whenever Scripture is misinterpreted, whenever there's a lie that's being taught and believed, the devil is behind it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul said, My fear for you is that just like Satan beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your minds are going to be corrupted from the simplicity of, that you found in Christ. You know what? The biggest, compl- the biggest reservation that people have against Christianity in the world. That's too easy. I, I need to do something along with that. No, Jesus has already done the work. He finished the work of redemption. When we trust him, he transforms our lives and they look different. But we're not saved because of our works. Our works just prove our salvation. The last thing. They utilize any fleshly temptation. They they know what our flesh craves, and they set it before us. Satan planted that seed of doubt, that little deceptive seed of doubt first in Eve's mind. Did God really say that? Now, Eve didn't say exactly what God said. She changed it up a little bit. But then the Bible says that she looked at the fruit and saw that it looked pleasant, like it tasted good. And she took it and ate it. What did Satan do? First he used a little bit of subtle, dece- uh, subtle deception, and then he used that fleshly craving to entice her. It looks good. It probably tastes good, which means it is good. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says that everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Let me me give you some more words to help illustrate that. Pleasures, possessions, positions in the world are useful tools for the enemy to tempt us. I, I, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. You understand me? God's not opposed to us having stuff. God's not, God's not opposed to us having pleasure. God's not opposed to us being in a position of authority in the world. In fact, I think he puts some of us in places where we, can, where we can do things for his glory. But the, but the same God that can give them to us and, and they be good gifts to us, the enemy can turn those things against us. And cause us to begin to love those things more than we love the Father. Matthew chapter 4 verse 3, the Bible called Satan the tempter when he came to Jesus. And if you look at what Satan tempted Jesus with, he tempted him with possessions, pleasures, and power. And had Jesus did anything that the tempter tempted him to do, he would have went against the Father's will and sinned. He did not. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5 speaks of Satan using a lack of marital intimacy to open a door for Satan to tempt us for with, with, with sexual sin. He said, if, you, if, if you're going to Not have sex. Agree on a time frame. Do it for the purpose of prayer and fasting. And then come together again because Satan will make that temptation hard for you. He'll set it before you and tempt you. Now, i got to hasten to say this. The temptation might be planted by the devil, but the decision to yield to the temptation is ours. He can't make us yield. He just sets it before us this up there real fast James 1 13 through 15 says let no man say when he is tempted I'm tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed the enticement come from Satan but the lust is ours when lust is conceived it brings forth sin when sin when it is finished brings forth death so temptation is an outside job the enemy knows where to put it and when to put it there But yielding to temptation comes from our own lust that are inside of our own flesh. So there's my outline. There's the powers. There's the tactics. And let me say this. Anybody who is not in Christ will be overwhelmed and overcome by those powers and those tactics. Do you hear me? You cannot have victory over the enemy without Christ in your life without you being hidden in Christ in your life. And even as Christians, we have to beware. Because if we're not careful, we will, we'll, Satan will tempt us and, and cause us to fall and fail. And we will lose our ability to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he even attacks our faith, trying to entice us to abandon that faith. Paul's instruction to us was this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Peter's instruction is be sober and be vigilant. Resist him steadfast in your faith. And so let me just ask you a question this morning. Is the devil having his way in your life? I'm telling tell you, I'm not making light of that. The Satan is a powerful adversary. But Jesus Christ is a more powerful advocate. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you want to overcome the enemy, if you want to overcome him with all of those powers that he has and with all of the tactics that he brings against you, You need someone greater than yourself living and ruling you from the inside out. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. As our musicians come, this is an old hymn. I think it's page 17 in our hymn books. I want to read this old hymn to you. This is Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation, 500 years ago literally led the church out of the bondage of catholicism and took them back to the authority of scriptures that that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone for the glory of god alone according to scripture alone the five solos of the reformation martin luther was fighting the devil He was fighting an enemy that was bigger than himself and he wrote this hymn called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. It's it's a lot better when you sing it but I'm not going to try to sing it, All right. Here's what he said. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Now he talks about the enemy. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. I should not have capitalized that his and that. That is the enemy that he's talking about there, not God. On earth there is no equal to Satan. Second verse, Did we in our own strength confide... Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord saboeth His name from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. The third verse is my favorite. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. That's Satan's attempt to stamp out the word of God. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to the demonic realm abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. A mighty fortress is our God. I'm, 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 I'm telling you this morning, you will not, cannot overcome the enemy unless you run to that fortress who is the Lord Jesus Christ the living Word of God. You can do that this morning. For the first time or the 15,000th time, all of the solutions for all the devil's power and all the devil's tactics are found at the feet of Jesus. Only there can you be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Only there can you put on the whole armor of God and withstand the assault of the enemy. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for the time that these folks have given to your Word this morning into your worship. I know that I'm long-winded. I know that they're patient and attentive. I believe it's because they are truly disciples of Christ who desire to grow in grace and in knowledge and who decide who desire to be overcomers of everything the enemy brings their way. And I'm thankful for them. I pray, God, that you would help us to recognize the work of the enemy In the world around us and in our own lives, God. I pray you'd help us to stop fighting one another. I know the two institutions that he strives against the most in this world are the home and the church. I pray, God, that we'd recognize where he's at work in our homes. And I pray you'd help us to recognize where he's at work in our churches that we'd stand strong in your mighty power and that we'd put on your whole armor and that, God, we might gain victory over him. That, that we don't fight flesh and blood battles anymore, but that we fight the spiritual battles and make a difference. God, if there's one person here in this building this morning who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, I pray today would be their day of salvation. The God of this world is trying to blind their blind their mind, blind their eyes so that they can't see the hope that they have in Jesus. I pray the Holy Spirit, though, would reveal that to them right now. Convict them of their sin. Convince them of the righteousness that's found only in Christ and of the judgment that'll one day come. Bring them to Jesus this morning, I pray. and We'll praise you for all that you do in His name.